0: Well, thank you, Greg, and uh, thank you for participating in communion with us this morning. Uh, it's been quite a week and a half or so for everybody, hasn't it? I don't know if you're like me at all. Um, I have found myself affixed to the news more than maybe I care to admit in the past week and a half, uh, checking my news sources every morning to see what's going on in the other side of the world and uh, feeling some concern about what I see uh, happening. Um, you know with russia and ukraine right now and i i've been trying to manage my own um, response and learn boy i i can get anxious and i can forget that there is a god in control and i also i think rightly feel anger uh... and maybe you do too um, but one of the people who has been most impressive to me at least in what i've heard in this whole thing is the the president of ukraine Zelensky, who you may have heard him say at one point he said to the apparent offer from the United States to remove him or to give him a safe passage out. He said, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. And most leaders we follow, we would like to say, our leader would do the same thing. Like, I don't care what side of the aisle you vote on or what your views are on that, but I think all of us might say, I think we've all asked the question, I wonder if the person that I voted for would do that regardless of where you fall. And the question is, how in the world do you know? How in the world do you know what kind of leader you're following until you get into the heat of the battle? And how do you know what kind of leader you are until you get into the heat of the battle? Because those things don't show up on a campaign trail. They show up when people start bombing you all of a sudden. It's crazy. It's crazy. That shows up if you're a boss. Wouldn't it be great to know ahead of time? I know you try to have personality inventories and assessments and do references and all that. You try to find out what people are like in hard times, but you really don't know what kind of leader they're going to be until everything hits the fan and it's crazy and you've lost everything. You're like, wow, your character, your leadership really shines or doesn't when things get hard, right? And, And I think for me and maybe for you, I think I'm learning... That we develop an appetite for leadership. And that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning: is the appetite for leaders. There are certain leaders that we prefer to follow, based on our own experiences, our own values, our own stories. And those leaders that we prefer to follow, the appetite for those leaders, we also begin to emulate. We want to become like them. And I and I and I think that what I've seen in the past week and a half and. It, it, is this truth that I think we all know, that I'm gonna put it this way, it's super simple this morning, that what's inside us guides us. And I tried to make it rhyme, but I didn't, but that was close, so can you at least go with me on that? It's pretty close, it's not quite right. Um, In other words, Zelensky's resume, however he got voted in in the Ukraine, didn't have on it, hey, when the bombs start falling from Russia, I'm gonna stay with y'all. We didn't know really what guided him until the heat came, and then we got to see what's inside. Now, we saw his resume on the outside, but the same for you and the same for me, that we don't really know what guides somebody until we get to see what's on the inside. The same for the people on your team or on your, um, you know, your musical group or w- within your school, within your friends. You don't really know what's going on inside of them until things get hard, but what's inside us guides us. What's inside you and what's inside me guides us. The reason I bring this up is because I think Paul brought it up. Paul, an early follower of Jesus when he was dying, stuck in a dungeon, chained, and with only a skylight cut out for air and light, he began writing to Timothy kind of his last words, and in there, in the section that we're in right now, he talks about, he's going to write about things that will happen, he's going to call it, in the last days. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He's going to talk about things that happen. And one of those things that happen in those times is that people, leaders, begin to lead in certain ways that risk the future of the church, that risk the future growth and expansion of Christ's work across the globe and the opportunities for people to come to have faith in him. And so Paul is going to identify that there are some things, there are some leaders who are going to want to functionally, who are going to want to consolidate power some leaders who are going to be in it for themselves. Some leaders who are going to want to get their share and press into their share. There are some leaders who are going to manipulate, who are going to share half-truths, who are going to question the truth, not be clear about that, so that they can manipulate you, and he's going to say, have nothing to do with these kind of people, because what's inside you guides you. What's inside me guides me, and we don't know what really is in there, and that's the hard part about it until things start getting super difficult. But Paul writes this to Timothy, and I want to look at it with you because I think it's so important for me, and I hope it's important for you too, to consider what is my appetite for leadership? Who are the leaders that I like to follow? And who are the people that I'm trying to become like? And so I want to invite you to look at this section of Scripture, this unique section with me. In 2 Timothy, chapter 3 is where we are this morning. If you don't own a Bible, there's not a problem. There's one in the chair near you. Um, just pull it up on your phone if you would like as well. But 2 Timothy 3, in the, the second half of the New Testament, you'll find it there in the table of contents if you're not sure where it is, a little small letter that, that Paul wrote. am going to look at nine verses. I'm going to kind of go uh, a few verses at a time this morning. Uh, and, and make some comments on them. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, I'm going to read the first uh, few verses here together, and we'll go from there. So here's what he says. I'm reading from the NIV. He says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And then he goes on in verse 2 to 4. He says, People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, Abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Let's pause it right there. When I first read through this, I I honestly I was skeptical. I don't know if you read the Bible skeptically, but I find that I often do, if I'm honest. I was reading this section skeptically because of this reason that what he's giving me here are not helpful markers of the last days. In fact, I could say that a cult leader could use this same passage and say, just look out, anyone who's a lover of themselves, anyone who's disobedient to their parents, it's a sign of the end times. And we could start looking for the end times under every single rock, under every single conversation. After every single day at work, if you've been a lover of money more than lover of the people around you, you, my friend, are a sign of the end times. And so I read this section. I thought, well, this is not very, very helpful. Or maybe I'm understanding it wrong. And then I went back to my time at Lancaster Bible College when I was a freshman in a large psychology class, almost the size of this room here, maybe a hundred and some people in the room. And I told some of you this story before. The psych prof on day one had us fill out a personality inventory. She took it home with her or whatever, brought it back the next class period in two class periods. And she handed it out to us and she took, took a piece of paper and folded it so it had my name on it and I could just see my name and it was like stapled privately for my personal feedback. So I opened it up and she's like, take a minute to read it. I'm like, cool, all right. So we all collectively took a minute to read it. And I read through that and I'm like, yeah, yeah, well, I, didn't, I wouldn't have said that, but yeah, that makes sense. It, it read something like, you know, you're." I, I'm making this up because I can't remember, I'm too old to remember this stuff. It almost doesn't matter what it said, but, it, you know, hey, you're, you're, you're a good leader, you're kind, you're thoughtful, there are times you can be impatient, you know, you, um, some people tell you that you talk too much, I don't know, you know, whatever, you're going to lose your hair when you're older, anyway. <laughs> it just had some things to say there in general, okay? And I read and I thought, yeah, that's me, like, that makes sense. Well, then she's like, would anyone mind reading theirs for the whole group? Now, of course, I wasn't going to do that, I didn't have that personality, like, I don't want to read my thing to the whole group. So some dude raises his hand and he reads it, and his is mine, word for word. I'm like, wow, we're the same. (laughs) And then some girl reads hers, and she's like, well, that, I'm like, well, we have the same, like, we should all get together. We're the same. Like, three of us should get together in a small group or something. And then she's like, hey, friends, I gave you all the same thing. Everybody cool with that? And the truth is, she deceived us in the sense that she gave to us the exact same description of what we wanted to believe about ourselves, and I believed it. And she said, basically, listen, watch out. You can find yourself, if you want to, in almost anything that you're looking for. She made her point. And when I look at this, I'm like, you can find yourself here if you want. You can find any era of history here. I could argue that if I was a Jew during the Holocaust, you better believe I would say that's the end times, and I would go right to this passage and be like, it is the end times, except we're here now and it's post-Holocaust, right? I bet if I would have found this even earlier during the persecution of Christians in the 200s and 300s, I would have been like, yeah, it's definitely the end times. But now here we are, thousands of years later, still hanging out on the planet. And so what do I do with this? I was stuck a little bit if I'm reading it skeptically a little bit. And then I came to learn what the end times, excuse me, what the last days term really means. When Paul writes, he's like, I just want you to know there's going to be terrible times in the last days. That phrase is a phrase that he used because other New Testament writers use the same phrase. And all it means, it's used in Acts when the Holy Spirit comes on um, people in Acts and the Holy Spirit descends. It's also used in the book of Hebrews to describe What we just took of communion, when God sent Christ to this planet, it began a season of time known, and the New Testament writers call it, the last days. In the sense that God has visited our humanity and has started a period of time that there is no longer going to be another period like this, in that God has come through Christ and started his reign, if you will, that God has come through Christ, and from that time, we are now living in the last days in that God has returned. The Messiah has come, and so now we live out this period of time toward an indefinite end. And so what Paul isn't saying is watch out every time someone is selfish or looking out for their own good because the end times are about to fall he's not saying that he's just saying and this is a common shared belief among the church at this time that things will be getting worse in this regard he talks about it personally he says there'd be terrible times in the last days and then he turns it personal he says people people look for people he said here people and they're going to be this way and he describes it And i want to read this slowly to you again i want to ask you if you, I want to I I invite you to reflect on the leaders of varying kinds that you know, that maybe you willingly follow or you subscribe to or you will promote. I want to invite you to reflect on leaders in light of what Paul says about these people, because what he's really describing are people who do not subscribe or come under godly living but rather come in a different way there's one more thing i want to say quick there was a writing style used at this time in which the new testament writers would kind of say this is the standard in which people should live and then here are deviant behaviors that people sometimes do we have stories like this we tell all the time one of them is the boy who cried wolf now how do you know that because this is a shared story that we, we, are, we, we realize that the proper behavior isn't to cry wolf at every moment because if you do, you, you're a deviant. It sounds terrible, but you know what I mean. That you deviate from what is acceptable behavior. If you keep doing this, then you're not in line with what should be done. What Paul is gonna give Timothy is now a list of, here's what are deviant behaviors. People who are generally described this way are deviant. The standard is going to be godliness. What he gave in just a few verses prior, we didn't read them today, we did last week, about pursuing righteousness, love, faith, peace, being kind even to your opponents. Now he gives the deviant side. And so I have to ask myself the question, as I follow leaders, as you do too, what is my appetite for leaders? And who am I willingly following? As I look at this, because this is what Paul is going to describe as a deviant kind of behavior. He says, people, these people, do you follow anyone like this? Do I? Who's a lover of themselves? who's a lover of money, who's boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He sums it all up in verse 5. He says these people, if you forget all those terms, he says they are having a form of godliness but denying its power. They're having a form of godliness but denying its power. Easter bunnies, Full, chocolate, solid Easter bunnies. Can I get, we don't do a lot of amens, but those are good candies to get. Can I get an amen around a solid, chocolate Easter bunny at Easter? We got an amen. Thank you, Dave. I hear that one amen. So when you get an Easter bunny, and I remember this as a kid, you know, about yay tall, almost, sometimes they're a foot tall, which is pretty awesome, but you know, let's say eight, ten inches tall. And you look at that as a kid, and you're like, this is going to be an amazing deal. And then you bite into it, and it is hollow, and then you hate your life, right? I mean, that's <laughs> it's terrible. It has, it has a form of awesomeness, but it denies its power. And what's inside of us guides us. And so when you bite into that thing, you're like, shoot, I thought that was going to be good, but it's, there's nothing there. Like, I thought that person was going to be good, but there's nothing there. On the inside, when I bite into it, when I apply pressure and hardship to it, it reveals that there's nothing in there. And he said, this is what people do. This is, and can you imagine? Like, this is, again, the church is in, an, in its infancy and a lot hung in the balance. Can you imagine a church being led by people who are more concerned about what they look like on the outside than who they were on the inside? Because if I'm honest, I struggle with that maybe just as daily as you do. You know, I I get up and I I dress up for here Sunday morning. This is dress up for me. Some of you may want more than that, but this is as good as I got today. I want to put on the best side for you, right, and and you for me. And I get that. That's appropriate in many ways. When I fill out reference forms for young people, and I did so last week and the week prior, one of the questions I get routinely is, are they well-groomed? I'm like, I don't know. Are they a horse? I'm not sure what to tell you. Are they well-groomed? Because people are looking to say, man, how, how do they present themselves on the outside? Like, I want to know if they shave or wear clothes that cover all their body parts. I don't know what they want to know. I don't know if they're well-groomed. Can we ask a different kind of question? But you know as well as I that the, the, the low-hanging fruit is just simply look good enough, fake it till you make it, look good enough so that you can be passable. But then all of a sudden the bombs start flying and then you get to decide, do you want a ride or do you want ammunition? And here's what Paul's saying is that there are people, Timothy, he said there are people who are going to invite you to invite them into leadership in the church. There are going to be people who are going to want to serve alongside you in this future church, who are going to have a form of godliness by going to deny its, he says, power. What does that mean? You're going to deny its power. When power is talked about in the New Testament, it often is talked about by in akin to the power of the Holy Spirit. That the power of the Holy Spirit will come and land and guide and indwell and, and move believers. And I think that could be in Paul's mind here. But he doesn't write anywhere else here right now about the Holy Spirit. And so I don't know if the Holy Spirit is in mind here for him. I think what's actually in mind for him is that there is power in the behaviors that aren't deviant. Meaning there is power when you live a godly life, when you live in kindness toward one another, as he talked about in chapter 2, verse 24, that you should live in kindness to all. When you live with righteousness, peace, love, faithfulness, there is power in that. When people see you and engage with you, there is a power in the life of God that comes through you. And yes, that is guided by the Holy Spirit, but also there is power in actually living in a godly way. He says, there's a godliness that denies its power because you see them, you're like, there's nothing here. I think there's just something on the outside. And then he says, the end of the verse, verse 5b, he's, he's like this, have nothing to do with them. Now that's strong. Think about who those people are in the church. Can you, can you imagine the church being like, hey, um, those people? Yeah. Yeah. Have nothing to do with him. He cuts a hard line there. And I might ask why. Because earlier in the, the chapter right before, he's like, I want you to be kind to everyone, but here he's like, I don't want those people around you, Timothy. That's a strong statement. Have nothing to do with them. And I think the distinction is this, that Paul is trying to protect future leadership of the church. I think he's talking about people who, who will engage in an official way with Timothy as a leader of the church. Because you can imagine how terrible the church would be if we had leaders who were marked by the, the characteristics that Paul just wrote about here. And so he's like, you know what? Those, those folks, don't invite them into leadership. And then he goes on further to describe it even more. He says it in verse six. He's like, let me give you some more examples. He said, they are the kind who worm their way into homes, and this is, this is kind of weird, I'll be honest. It's kind of weird. Who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires. That needs no explaining. I'm just going to move on. (laughs) Verse 7, I'm going to explain in a minute. Verse 7, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is Paul's immediate context here, by the way. This is what he's actually dealing with right now. And what I believe is happening is, again, I want you to look at what these leaders are trying to do. They're trying to gain control. You see that piece? They're getting control. In this case, it was over gullible women. In our context, it can be gullible anything. It can be anyone, anyone who is swayed. He says, swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Anyone, you, you know these people too, just like I do, who want, he says, always learning, but never able to handle the truth, never able to get a grasp of the truth, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, you ever meet people like that who are just like, oh, you know, I had read this the other day and this thing. But then I read this the other day and this thing. And, you know, someone sent me an email and promised me that, you know, some uh, rich uncle in uh, Nigeria died and was gonna give me some money and I sent my information back to them. You know, I'm just kind of hoping that something comes to be. And you're like, oh, geez, There are people who want to get into your life to get something from you. And he's like, those are the kind of people that you need to watch out for. Because there's always gonna be people who will fall for things like this. He said, those people who pray on those who are more gullible like that, and especially in his context, like, watch out for them. They want, they want control. And he goes on, verse eight, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. Now, that doesn't make any sense to me when I read this. I'm like, I don't know who Janus and Jambres are. I don't know how they oppose Moses, so I'm a little lost. He said, so also those teachers oppose the truth. And then I learned that Janus and Jambres were the um, names, traditional names given to the magicians who were in Pharaoh's court so a long time ago before Paul was on the planet Moses went to Pharaoh and said to Pharaoh Pharaoh let my people go and Pharaoh said no yes no they had a little fight all right and in Pharaoh's court there were magicians who would model uh, the same magic acts or supernatural acts that Moses did and they basically were standing behind Pharaoh to say don't let him go and Moses would do something amazing and then Janice and Jambres would do something amazing 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 and then Janice and James like shoot We're out of our league. We can't match it And so when they talked about Janice and Jambres he's saying is that there are people who get in the way of what God wants to do You need to be careful about those people they stand in the way they stand in the way of the truth they stand in the way of the truth they oppose the truth. These are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far. And this is great. This makes a lot of sense in our world. They won't get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. If you've hung around with me long enough, you heard me say before about some people, hey, if you give them enough rope, they're going to hang themselves. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? But it's true. In other words, if you give someone enough rope, you will find out who they really are. If you give them enough rope, they're going to hang themselves on it. That really, I should probably come up with something else. That sounds bad. But his point is this. like you, you will know them by their track record. Their folly will be clear to everyone. So don't try to control every little thing, Timothy, but I want you to be aware. Avoid these people who stand in the way of God's truth. And I want you to create, and this is my words now. I think that Paul is saying, Timothy, I want your appetite for leaders in the church and leaders in your own life I want you to be aware of, be sensitive to, be clear on. Here's the people that you should avoid because this kind of behavior will not help you, all right? Now, I'm gonna just take this into our world because this really translates super simply, and then I wanna ask a couple questions to wrap up. Um, If I take all of what Paul is saying right here for a minute and just put it, let me put it in the business world for a minute. I I think what he's almost realizing is this. He's like, um, This is extra biblical now, it's just me talking. He's almost saying like, Timothy, um, I I want you to know that when you come to the last days of someone's employment, there are going to be terrible times in those last days. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to realize that this is how they're going to act. They looked like they were here for the company and for the employees and for the clients, but they weren't. They were here for themselves. You're going to come to realize that. I want you to be able to discern that. I want you to be able to see that. I want to identify that behavior so that the next person you hire, you're not going to hire somebody like that. I want you to understand that sometimes people prey on gullible people who see a chance for manipulation and grab it for themselves as they want control. And I want you to be aware enough that those people have a track record. You need to see that and be able to identify that because that is deviant behavior. That isn't behavior that should be modeled. People, I'm going to translate that to a team if you're on a team. Basketball team, volleyball team, soccer team, baseball team, uh, crocheting team, I don't know what you guys, anyway. Whoever's on your team is like, listen, they're going to be teammates that you have and they're going to all start the season and make the team together. But when you start losing eight in a row, all of a sudden they're going to be people who are going to rise up and you're going to see what's inside of them. And they're going to start complaining about playing time and complaining about the coach and complaining about someone's parents and complaining about this and complaining about that. And you're going to realize maybe then I shouldn't have had them on the team in the first place. And I want you to be careful who you pick on the team who's going to lead with you, because who you pick on the team to lead with you is going to impact the whole culture of what you do. And I want you to be aware of behaviors. If you see it, it will be there. Look at the track record, he's saying. Same thing in relationships, right? It's almost like he's saying, Timothy, you've had some bad relationships. He's not saying this is my words. In our world, we've had some bad relationships. And we look back, and like, oh, I remember in the last days of that, there were some terrible times in that relationship. And I wish I would have seen then what I see now but these lists of characteristics that are deviant behaviors are things I wish I would have seen, I wish I would have had an appetite for. It would have saved me pain and suffering if I would have identified, no, these core things impact culture and character and impact my relationship with the people around me. And it's important, not just that I am like this, but that I also develop an appetite for leaders who are godly and who have a not just a form of it, but actually model the power of it, who I can look at their track record and say, yep, that person models righteousness, faith, love, peace, and they don't fall in this other category very much. And so I want to ask you two questions as I wrap up here this morning. And and the first one is this. What do I see inside of those that I willingly follow? I'm convinced we all have people we willingly follow because we value them, and I'm not judging that. It's just the way the world works. There are people that I willingly follow and people you willingly follow. And I have to ask myself the question, that... what do I see inside of those people I willingly follow? I just want to invite you to be discerning about that. Because who you willingly follow is who you emulate. And who you willingly follow is who you're going to become like. And what Paul is writing to Timothy is like, be aware of these things. These character traits, these things that you see at the beginning of chapter 3, they're important. It's, it's having a form of godliness with the power that you need to have alongside of it. So who are you willingly following? And what does, there, what does hardship reveal about them? Are the people that you follow or I follow into consolidating power for themselves, <laughs> into thinking more of themselves and the people they serve? Who are the people, what's inside of the people that I willingly get behind? What's my appetite for leadership like? And secondly is this question, when I turn this personally, who can I submit to who can help me see what's inside of me? This question is full of some things. I made an assumption here that I can't see and maybe you can't see what's inside of you well without submitting to someone willingly in authority over you. I've said before, we're all people under authority. I am, I think you are. I think we are best under authority. And so I need to ask the question, do I have someone in authority, in true authority over me and you who you can actually trust, who you're willing to submit to, who can help you see what's inside of you? Because what's inside of you guides you. It doesn't rhyme, it's close. What's inside you guides you. And so, who can you submit to that can help you see what's inside of you? Because of all the things, again, that Paul could write about when he's dying in prison, he decides to write, to warn Timothy, have nothing to do with these people in the sense of their influence and leading. Be kind to everyone, he writes in the chapter prior, be kind to everyone, gently instruct these people. But when it comes to, to influence that you're willing to sit under when it comes to leadership and creating cultures and environments for people have nothing to do with certain people whose characteristics are falling in this category. More often, it's a hard line, but it's a line that Paul had to make for Timothy. And so, let me ask you, what's your appetite for leadership? Because what's inside you and what's inside me guides me. Next week, I think Greg is speaking next week, if I'm not mistaken. I'll be, be off next week, but thank you for the time here this morning as we have looked into this ancient letter, and I hope it's been helpful for you. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thanks for the chance to be here this morning to look back in time and see some wisdom from Paul to Timothy, some challenge for leadership, for our own development and the own appet- our own appetites that we develop for leadership. I pray that you would help us to um, be thoughtful and discerning in not only who we follow, but the degree to which we follow, to be people who are willing and able to submit one to another, that what is inside of us can be the power of the holy spirit guiding us into godly living. And if we're honest, all of us are, all of us are so imperfect and so incomplete in matching up to even our own best standards. So I pray that we wouldn't put an unnecessary burden of perfection on us. It's not what I'm saying that there can be a humility of heart that draws us to what Paul writes about earlier in this letter to righteousness to faith, to love to develop that appetite for our own leadership and for the leadership that we're willing to follow and promote I pray that you would guide this church as we strive to know you in this way well. In Jesus' name.